like to welcome everyone again who's sitting here as well as those who are watching online and in the community center. It's great to be together and to be open and listening for God's word to us today. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we do thank you that you shine in the light to every crevice of our lives. Lord, may your light so shine through us that others would come to know you by the way that we live and love and work. Amen. We continue today in a sermon series about how God is bringing about revival, not just on Sundays, but on Mondays and Tuesdays. And let me tell you a story about one Wednesday when a Presbyterian elder was headed out on a business trip and he tucked a copy of Psalm 8 in his travel gear. His name is Buzz Aldrin and his colleague was Neil Armstrong. In July 1969, his business trip was to the moon. Here's a photo of his handwritten note card with two scriptures, one of which is the psalm we just heard. Psalm 8 was in Buzz's astronaut gear as Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Amazing. Matthew tells us that Jesus quoted this same psalm to verify his identity as Messiah. Jesus was healing the blind and the lame, and a crowd started to gather to see what was going on. The children got so excited because these amazing things were happening that they began to cry out, Praise be to the Son of David! Hosanna to the Son of David! This was not a children's choir trained by wonderful choir directors. This was just a band of ordinary kids on the streets of Jerusalem. And the scribes and the chief priests were indignant they thought Jesus ought to silence these children. And instead, Jesus said to them, Have you never read that from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? This is the prediction of David in the 8th Psalm that God's marvelous simplicity can be conveyed to a child who's capable of wonder in a way that seems to wear off by the time we get to adulthood. These are ones who can see something amazing and trust that it is God at work. Psalm 8 captures this sense of sort of a tiered universe from the biggest experience, the majesty of the Lord, to the smallest little creatures under our feet, the lowest of the earth. Here's a section of Psalm 8 from the message version. I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. And then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? I believe in a grand designer. Scientists have proven that at one time, about 14 billion years ago, our entire universe was contained within the volume about the size of a golf ball. Can you take that in? It's hard for me. And they say that then there was a big bang. Even Stephen Hawking, the famous physicist from Cambridge who believes and buys into this and has helped prove it, acknowledges that at the point of time, when time began, we might say, in the big bang, something happened which the laws of physics cannot explain. The Bible has an answer. 
Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Could it be that God is behind the Big Bang? On Christmas Eve 1968, in what was then the most watched television broadcast, the crew of Apollo 8 read aloud as they orbited the moon. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And continuing, God called the dry ground land, and the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Genesis goes on explaining that God created even humankind. Humankind, male and female, in the image of God. And he blessed us, and he charged us to fill the earth and to be stewards over it. And then when God looked at all that he had made, he said that it was good. And then it was good. And then when he created human beings, he said, this is very good. Alan Sandage, who is one of the world's leading astronomers, said that the majesty of the Big Bang, the Big Bang theory, actually helped him become a believer in God. He said that creation could only be explained as a miracle. It's as though the whole universe is shouting to us, there is a God. But what the psalmist finds so astounding is not this macro level of creation and cosmos, mountains and stars. The mind of the psalmist beholds these wonders to be sure, but what is more, the focus, the core of the psalm is that of the dignified royal priesthood of human beings. The status of people. We look at the heavens, indeed they're grand, but even more so, God created men and women in his own image. God leveraged all his resources to create a world of new life. In comparison to the cosmos, human beings are both tiny and yet significant image bearers of God. An MIT professor of microbiology puts it this way. He said that DNA is like a parts list for a Boeing 747. Imagine that. He points out, and imagine this, that if you had all the parts of a Boeing 747 lying in front of you, does it mean that you have a plane that's ready to fly? What if you were at a baseball field and you, you set them all out? I can just picture them in an orderly fashion, the way my son lays things out when he's about to build some sort of huge Lego thing when he was little. Yes, he doesn't do that anymore. He's 17. I know they know him. <laughs> or he'd be embarrassed if I said he did. What if all those parts were laid out and you got yourself a hot dog and you went up in the stands and you sat there and you waited for maybe like 14 billion years or something like that and maybe rains come and maybe lightning comes. Are those parts going to suddenly assemble themselves as a 747? It's not going to happen. Wait as long as you want. It's never going to happen. It takes an outside agent to cause that to happen. 
And there is such an agent. It's called Boeing. <laughs> Bill Boeing founded a little aircraft company that today plays a leading role in connecting people around the world. In this century, our Pacific Northwest has been a fertile ground for creativity that has shaped the world. Frederick Weyerhaeuser founded the wood products industry and introduced the concept of sustainable forestry. John Nordstrom started a store that eventually revolutionized the retail industry and my closet. <laughs> Bill Gates of Microsoft, Jeff Broughton of Costco, Howard Schultz of Starbucks, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, not to mention the hundreds of biotech firms that have improved human health around the world. Or how about the playful head coach Pete Carroll, who not only makes football fun for the Seahawks, but somehow mobilizes the 12th man, probably the most enthusiastic fans in all of history. We will not be all entrepreneurs who change the world, but we all have the impulse within us to shape the world, to have influence, to make life meaningful. It's part of being created in the image of God. Gardeners, authors, musicians, but also cooks, teachers, accountants, project managers, we all have this creative impulse. A dad I know recently told me that he was on paternity leave, and one day while the baby was napping, he used the moments of silence to take a break, and he slipped away to refresh his mind. And what did he do? A little computer coding. This is a creative outlet that I'm very unfamiliar with. I'm told that programmers actually have fun with recursions and iterations and bit manipulations and that without them, websites as we know them would not exist. We're all artists in our own unique way. Consider this scripture written to the church at Ephesus. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's masterpiece, a masterpiece that he even creates anew in Christ Jesus. The English words used in this text, masterpiece, are sometimes translated workmanship. The, the translation of the original word in Greek is poema, from which we get the word poem. We are God's poem. This is how scripture describes us. The world is a wonderful reality with the signature of God all through it, but especially on us. This is a reality through which humankind is also to write our signature, being world makers, culture makers, tool makers, community makers, and beauty makers. This calling does not stop at age 65 or begin at age 21. What happens when a student who believed she was just biding her time to live life for real, when she begins to discover life in today. Maybe it looks like a girl named Megan Grassel, a high school senior and ski racer from Jackson, Wyoming. Last year, she went shopping with her 13-year-old sister, and she found that the fashion industry just seemed to be pushing her sister to grow up too fast. She says, I got this idea that something needed to happen, and if no one else was going to do it, I would. I've gained a ton of confidence. I can tell you now with ease that I'm not a size four, 
I was never very popular. I didn't get into my top choices for college, and I'm kind of a nerd, and that's okay. This time she's had to build a company has taught her a great, she says, a great way for me to weed out what's important to me and find out what I love to do. It's one thing to do something great for myself, but when I am actively making a difference in another girl's life, there are not quite enough words to describe how that makes me feel. Megan tapped into something. She built her own company at age 17. It's not only her own creative spirit, but it's making a difference in another person's life. There is creativity in both what you do and the way you do it, the way you work with the materials and the way you relate with other people. Do you think of others as God's masterpiece? What about that difficult person at work or in your family? Part of being created in the image of God is being created for a relationship. Imagine the team, the creative team, if you will, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a company of three, a company that's recruiting all of us over all time to join them. The word company comes from the Latin come pane, that is with bread. Company literally means sharing bread with each other. God not only made us in his image, he invites us to break bread with him, to be in the company of Jesus, if you will, to follow Jesus, to be filled with the spirit of God, to be part of the great company that God calls the kingdom of God. One of the first acts perform after Apollo 11 landed on the moon was a celebration of the Lord's Supper by astronaut Buzz Aldrin. Aldrin says, in the radio blackout, I opened the little plastic packages. You see, in his personal gear, he not only had that psalm, he had a little communion kit. He took out the chalice and he poured the wine into the chalice that his church had given him. He says, in the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine curled gracefully and came up the side of the cup. I gave thanks for the intelligence and the spirit that had brought two young pilots to the sea of tranquility. It was interesting for me to think the very first liquid ever poured on the moon and the very first food eaten there were the communion elements. That Sunday, when his church, Webster Presbyterian Church in Houston, took communion, a portion of the communion loaf was missing because that was the piece that was with Aldrin on a business trip that took him to the moon. It's not just about making a difference, but about living differently wherever you go. It's not just about making a name for ourselves because in Jesus, we have been given the name that is above every name. It's not just about making an image for ourselves because we already bear the image of our creator. Jazz musician John Coltrane had been given the gift of God's power and felt God's pleasure. He says this, 
This album is an offering to God, an attempt to say thank you, God, through my work, even as I do in my heart and with my tongue. And Coltrane says this prayer, may God help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. He began to play music for the music's sake, for the listener's sake, for God's sake, to the glory of God. Where are you going this week? Granted, it's probably not to the moon, and you may not be cutting a new album. You might not be an entrepreneur, but Jesus wants to be your companion. What challenges do you face on Monday? Whether you are making milkshakes or selling market shares, whether you're doing lunch or litigation, do it all to the glory of God. In Christ Jesus, you and I have the whole company of the heavenly host cheering us on. We are free to unleash the power of God through us. It's liberating to accept that God is fully aware of where you are at any moment. And he, by serving the work, the challenges, the agenda, the day that God has designed you for, you are creating with God. Please pray with me. Mighty God, we thank you that you so designed the universe that we get to be co-creators with you. Lord God, we thank you that in some way matter matters, that you not only created it, but you redeemed it by your hand and by your hand through us. Lord God, we ask that we would have the power to work with free hearts, that we would have the power to rest in freedom, knowing that it's not by our good doing that the world will be shaped, but by yours. Lord God, we ask that you would give us the ability to work with passion, with joy, with satisfaction, whether it's studying, whether it's taking a risk and making a business decision, whether it's problem solving, Lord, may we do it all to your glory with no regrets. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.